you're between the ages of four to eight, you're excused to kids club. By the way, I should point out that when you turn four, you're able to go to kids club. You don't have to wait for a move update. My daughter is turning four in March, my youngest, and she is quite excited about the chance to move up. So if that's true for you, you've turned four, you can go. You don't have to wait until some special season. If you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, if you didn't bring one, there's a red one in front of you, and will be on page 983. We point that out because we are going to continue to walk through God's Word. We hold God's Word very important here. That's why we teach it rather than my opinion, which you would find quickly is not as important. Last week, we started working through the book of Colossians in a series that we have called Our Hope, the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. If Paul had an overarching theme through the book of Colossians, and I believe that he did, it would be that Jesus Christ alone and all by himself is our hope, our only hope, and that he alone is supreme, that he alone is sufficient, and that those truths form the basis of the true gospel and form true belief in Jesus Christ as opposed to finding your hope in all sorts of other things that we could look to in this world, or even attempting to combine things or adding to Jesus. We'll continue to talk about those things through this series. And as we discussed last week, the truth is known because it pushes back the darkness, and it reveals the shortcomings of all the different forms of idolatry that show up, including those that Paul addresses in this letter. For example, he takes on the view of Rome that was predominant in that culture, that went far beyond patriotism to a nationalism that had become an idol. The Colossians were tempted to believe that Rome, the empire, was their hope, that Rome was their security, Rome was their peace, that Rome was the ultimate, and the success of Rome determined their success. And you'd find throughout this book of Colossians, Paul works to undermine that belief, pushing them to see a greater hope, pushing them to see a more secure future and a peace that would transcend all understanding that it is Jesus that ultimately holds you, ultimately is your hope and not Rome. And Paul pushes back on the idol of syncretism, the idea that we approach faith like a buffet line, taking what we like from Jesus taking what we like from Buddha, adding to that what we might prefer from secular humanism or even hedonism, and then leading out our lives. Paul exposes all of that to the church at Colossae, and he'll expose it in our lives too, showing that Jesus, all by himself, is the only thing that can take away our sin, that Jesus, by himself, is the only thing that can give us new life, that Jesus, by himself, is the only thing that can give us freedom. It is Jesus only Jesus. And so last week, in those first eight verses of his letter, we saw Paul boldly proclaim that the gospel, the truth, is going forward. And he shows us the movement then of the gospel, showing us the method of its movement, this model of discipleship. You see it laid out as Paul teaches the gospel to Epaphras, you can see that in the book of Ephesians, who doesn't just sit on it, 
Epaphras doesn't just know the Lord and then just walk away from it. No, he takes the gospel to Colossae and faithfully shares it with the Colossians. And then Paul tells them that just as they've received it, just as it has grown in you, just as these Colossians have matured in their faith, the gospel matures people, but it also grows and bears fruit in the world. So this morning we will pick up Paul in verse 9. And this is what it says, Colossians 1.9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As we step into this letter, you'll find lots of full statements like this, and we're going to take a couple moments and unpack it a little. Paul writes, since we heard about your belief in Jesus Christ, that he has been praying for them frequently. Which, of course, begs the question, who are we praying for? Because here Paul is telling a church that he's never been to, and he's telling a people that he's never met, that he doesn't stop lifting them to the Lord. And that puts our prayer lives into check a little bit, doesn't it? Who are we praying for? It's a good question. So let's give you a moment. Let's pause for like 10 seconds. And I want you, on the little piece of paper that we provide you, you do it on the back of your bulletin or on your white piece of paper, write one person down that you want to commit to praying for this week. We're taking 10 seconds. You need a pen. If you don't have a pen, you can write it down in your head, but that's not as effective. Now I want us to take this person and commit to praying every day this week. Next week, we'll take a quiz. Who prayed for their person all week? And you can raise your hand, and if you're an achievement-based person, you're going to want to do that. Otherwise, you're going to feel like you let everyone down. Just kidding, we're not guilt-based. But let's do commit to praying for people, because Paul was committed to praying for people, even to the extent of having heard about a church far off that he'd never been to, and a people he'd never met. He was committed to lifting them up to the Lord that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that's what Paul prays for them. So if you wonder what you should pray for people, Paul makes that easy for us. He gives us some prayer requests, things that we can always pray for people. And this is what he says. He prays asking that you, the Colossians, may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding asking that you may be filled let's look at that you may be filled there are two things i want us to pick up from that one is that according to the text you are currently not full you can't be for paul to be praying for your filling last week i stopped to put gas in my car you know why i did it wasn't because it was full, it was because it was empty. It needed gas, so I filled it up. You fill things that are empty. So let's camp out here for just a moment, because I really want you to see this. If you are not full, and you are needing filling, what Paul is doing here is he's revealing truth to you, and he's pushing back on a common synchronistic view of life. This is where people are tended to add pop psychology to Christianity. 
And in fact, you find it all over our modern world. Our world tells you currently, you are enough. You are sufficient. You are even supreme. That you are enough all by yourself. You don't need anything else. That's contrary to the Bible, by the way. You might recall Senator Al Franken. Never thought I'd quote him. As a Saturday Night Live character, kind of puts it in context, when he played Stuart Smalley, who constantly reminded himself, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Now we can look back on Stuart Smalley, played by Al Franken, and laugh about that, but that's a good part of what modern psychology wants to push into us. That's what you find the message of our world. You are enough. You find this epitomizing pop psychology in the self-help movement. If you're not sure about that, if you're not sure where to find that in the church, we'll get to that in a moment, but this comes throughout us, that Jesus did not come to save us from our sins, but that Jesus came to make us feel better about ourselves. Pastor Daniel Darling in his book, The Original Jesus, wrote this, I wonder if the church has lost this message in some ways. We are tempted to promote a kind of near gospel that offers blueprints for personal renewal without an emphasis on repentance made possible by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This near gospel portrayal of Jesus is a self-help star who doesn't renew us from the inside but offers us a vague set of moral principles by which we can work our, our way to success. It describes Jesus as not the one who breathed life into dead creatures, but the one who offers a serene pathway to your best life now. And again, if you're not sure where to find that, I'll tell you this anecdotally. This week when I was digging into this, I googled the term self-help gospel. Google, all by itself, autocorrected me to Joel Osteen. Now, I'm not sure how you autocorrect terms that have nothing to do with a man's name into a man's name, but that was its suggestion. Joel Osteen. Which I will tell you, I was a bit stunned by, and then I was humored by it as well, because it's just dead on. Paul prays here that we would be filled, which reveals to us that we're not full on our own. That we would be filled, notice again, it is a passive verb, if you may be filled, you are not the one filling. I was tempted then to put a picture of me filling up my water bottle to remind you in that picture, you're the water bottle. You're not the fountain, you're not the hand holding it, you are being filled by something, not of your own will or of your own accordance, but because something greater than you is filling you not unlike my relationship with my water bottle, who I like to remind I'm in control. Paul tells you that, that you may be filled, and he tells you with what? The knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That you would have a greater knowledge of who he is, and that what he has called us to do. And Paul makes it plain for us, and I want you to see this too. That the purpose of the filling of spiritual wisdom and understanding is not the end. It's not just that you would get smarter, or not just that you would know the right answers. 
And sadly, the vast majority of believers stop here. We have a spiritual experience. We might accept Jesus. We might even have been baptized. And then we increase in wisdom and knowledge. We start to gain information. And it ends there. Without a transformed life. Without pushing on to what Jesus would actually call us to do. And we miss that wisdom and knowledge in the New Testament were never the end. They were a means to the end. And you see, the purpose of the filling of spiritual wisdom and understanding comes clearly in verse 10. So as, this is the purpose, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. That you can grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you walk out your faith. So that you can apply it. Not just know it, apply it. You live it out. And in so doing, you please God. Not with your knowledge, but with your knowledge applied. Living it out. Walking it out. In a manner worthy of the Lord. And I don't want to overstate that, because Paul doesn't either. But in a manner worthy of the reality that Jesus Christ gave up Himself on a cross for you, that we would live in a, our lives in a way that honors that, that's worthy of that. And again, Paul points out to us a false view of our faith. This idea that knowledge become the, becomes the idol, that it becomes the goal, you saw that in his time, you see it in ours, that the focus of one's faith could be knowing rather than living you want a quiz to know if that's you do you spend time in god's word and if the answer is yes and church please let the answer be yes if you spend time in god's word and you walk away feeling better about yourself and by golly there are sure passages that could but if that's the primary thrust of your spiritual life if you're not stepping into God's word and walking away from it with some sense of Jesus is calling me to give up this or Jesus is calling me to step into that or Jesus is giving me the power to engage this, then it's possible that we're engaging a knowledge-based gospel. That what God gave me is something to know, not something to live out. That if we walk away from church here this morning and we don't do anything at all with what we've heard, we might have wasted our time. Now somebody needed to say amen to that. God gave us his word, not that we would know it, but that we would apply it. That it would come out of our lives. That we would walk it out. And that's the focus of our faith. That's what Paul is praying here. And Paul prays that you'd be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding so that it would change how you live, that it would transform your life, that you would apply truth and walk differently. And then Paul gives us four characteristics that reveal this life worthy of living, four things that Paul says that no, spiritual wisdom and understanding lead to. And here's the first one. Bearing fruit in every good work out of verse 10. 
that Jesus said you can know a man by its fruit. Matthew 7, 16, Jesus says, you will recognize them, talking about believers, by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Well, Paul is encouraging what Jesus is encouraging is you look at a tree and see what it's producing because the fruit it produces tells you what kind of tree it is. Believers in Jesus Christ are called to bear fruit and that this fruit comes from being filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding that prompts us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord which bears fruit. And of course, this can manifest itself as character fruit. The kind of character fruit that's talked about in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And yet, that's not the only kind of fruit in the New Testament. It's a fruit that shapes our character, but there's also a fruit that multiplies our faith. If we study the book of Acts, you would see over and over and over again that spiritual fruit is making disciples. That spiritual fruit starts with and includes sharing the gospel with people. It starts with and includes building people up. It starts with and includes enduring people's burdens. And you'd find if we walked through the book of Acts that this work is not accomplished by a professional. And by that I mean it's accomplished by everyday believers, and by that I mean that that is the New Testament. Not that we hire a guy to do spiritual work, but Ephesians 4 actually would tell you to hire a guy to train you to do spiritual work. We'll talk to that in a minute. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we're called to bear fruit. John fifteen eight says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And Paul carries on. Not only that we would bear fruit, which would testify the kind of tree we are, that would testify, that would prove that we're his disciples, but that, also in verse 10, we would increase in the knowledge of God. That somehow that Paul prays for us that as we grow in spiritual understanding and wisdom, we'd actually also grow in the knowledge of God. We'd get to know him better. Paul put it this way in the book of Ephesians. Building up the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. This is the goal. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The picture that Paul is relating here is that the gospel is called to mature us, to grow us up in the faith to the measure of the stature of the fullness. Now, there's a lot there of Christ that we would increasingly become more and more and more and more and more and more like Jesus every day, every week, every month. And friends, that requires work. It's not just a sit there and be transformed kind of movement. It's pursuing God, increasing in knowledge, spending time in His Word. 
And I would add even reading substantial Christian materials that would grow our understanding. If you missed it about a week and a half ago, one of the most discouraging things to pastors was out in the news. A list of the top 100 best-selling Christian books in 2016 was released. If you didn't see the list, it's incredibly disgusting. Of the top 100 Christian books in 2016, seven were coloring books. Yeah, I could get that. I'm fine with you coloring. I'm even fine with you coloring scripture. But the fact that seven of the top 100 were almost a tenth, three were joke books. I'm not sure I get that. So we've got a tenth of the best-selling books in 2016 were either coloring books or joke books. Another tenth were varieties of Sarah Young's book, Jesus Calling, which if you consider, Mrs. Young thought that we needed a book that would allow God to speak directly to us as if we didn't already have a Bible. And the vast majority of her book exists to make you feel better about yourself. And that it is all packaged up in a let's trust Jesus and feel better about ourselves. But it is a far cry from God's actual word, given that God would pe- that people would know God and would know his heart. And if that book is encouraging you, I'm not trying to completely throw it aside. But if you haven't picked up on it and you've been reading it for a while, you haven't picked up on how much it focuses on you, that's a little disconcerting. And that's not even to make mention the number of Christian novels that show up on that list. The number of Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer books that made that list. The vast majority of it was, let me just say, trash. Friends, we're called to grow in our knowledge of him. Not by reading trashy novels, but by studying his word. And by reading substantial books. And if you have a book desire to read, we have a library that's got some phenomenal really old books that haven't been checked out in a while. And we would love for you to read them. And I've got plenty in my library that I would love to share with you. We are called to grow in our knowledge of Him by spending time in His Word. This is what Paul prays would be the overflow in them. That as they grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding, that they would be called more into God's Word to know Him better. Paul writes in verse 11, the third thing, that you'd be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. That you'd be strengthened with all power so that you would see that the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is alive and at work in you. And that that power is sufficient. And it's sufficient for all endurance and patience and joy. So let's let Paul push back again on syncretism. On, in this case, the prosperity gospel. Which tells you you can have your best life now. Which tells you God wants you to be comfortable. God wants you to have a cushy life. A good life. And let me ask you this. If you're having your best life, if you're having a cushy and a good life, At what level do you need endurance and patience with joy? For if you're called to patience with joy, you're not only called to endure something difficult, you're called to endure something so difficult that you're going to struggle to be joyful about it. And that's what Paul prays for here. 
that we would be strengthened as we endure hardship, as we endure suffering, as we endure rejection, all things that the New Testament foretells for all of us. That we would endure suffering in such a way that says, Jesus Christ is enough. Jesus Christ is sufficient. That though I never wanted this, never asked for it, never thought I'd walk through it, I can point to and tell you that Jesus is enough to carry me. That that's our testimony to the world. That we would suffer and endure hardship for His glory. And according to His glorious might, according to Paul. And so very fittingly, Paul ends his list of these four things that we would bear fruit, that we would grow in our knowledge, that we would be strengthened with power with this fourth one. That we would give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we all have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul puts that before us, that we would give thanks to the Father. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul writes, Give thanks in all circumstances. So he's not just telling you on Thanksgiving Day, He's not just telling you on the couple of times you want to pray about it. He's saying in any and in every circumstance, when life is simple, give thanks. When life is hard, give thanks. When life is incredibly painful, give thanks. When life is dealing you a hand that you don't know how to play, give thanks. When life is so thoroughly kicking in your pants, you're not sure how to stand up, Give thanks. Why? Because the Father has qualified you through His Son, Jesus Christ. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Because the Father has delivered you, has delivered me, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's taken us out of the grips of the evil one. He's taken us literally out of hell and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That once we endured sin, we were a product of sin. We lived in sin and we deserved death. And God found us, claimed us on his own, transferred us into the kingdom of life, sanctified us, justified us, called us His Son, and gave us full redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Why do we thank God? Because we deserve far worse than any hand that anybody has ever been dealt in the history of ever. We deserve worse. And God the Father has been gracious to give us a plentiful salvation. Now, I know for a fact that there are some suffering, struggling people in this room. And I don't want to make light of your suffering or your struggling, but I do want you to take hope in this. 
7 trillion years from now, when we're standing in His glory, it won't matter. And that's what we look to. That's what we look for. That this life is but a little wisp. That we should struggle for 97, 98, 83, 64. I don't know how many years God's going to give us. But then we've got literally billions and trillions and quadrillions. Pierce and I have been practicing math and septillions and octrillions and of years left to worship and glorify Him and to thank Him for saving us. Because he did. What Paul writes to the Corinthians, I'm sorry, to the Colossians, is that he is praying for them. Asking that they would be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That they would know him. And as they know him more and more and more and more, that it would transform their lives So that they would walk a life worthy of the gospel, pleasing God with their obedience. And that this knowledge and wisdom would lead them to bear fruit. And would lead them to get to know the Father and to dig in more and more and more to know Him. And that it would lead to them having a greater strength of a power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power, and we did through the Holy Spirit, that we could walk, that we could talk, and that we could share of His glory, and that we could do so with all endurance and patience, knowing full well that this life would be really difficult and hard and challenging, but we would endure it for His glory, and that in all things, we would give thanks. Paul writes all of that, praying that the gospel would transform their lives. And church, I'm praying that for you this week. For you, collectively and individually, are the people that made my piece of paper this week that I'm going to be lifting up and praying this for each and every one of you this week. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father, thank you that we are able to gather in a room and hear your word taught. Thank you that we have Bibles, that we could know you. Father, I pray for us, every one of us, Father, that you would give us spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you would fill us with it, that we would be full of wisdom and understanding that would lead to transformation. God, that you would change all of us, making us more and more and more like your son Jesus. And that our lives would bear fruit. Fruit that would give you glory. Fruit that would grow your kingdom. And Father, that our lives would, as we lean in and know more, Father, that we'd get to know you and your heart. Father, that as we do that, that we'd be filled with a power that only comes from you to endure all that you'll put on our plate father knowing that you can use all things for your good and for your glory and father as we walk through any and all of it that we would give thanks recognizing that you're in charge recognizing that you alone are sovereign that you alone are supreme and that there's nothing anyone in this room is walking through that you are unaware of 
And you're not empowering them to endure for the cause of your gospel. Father, we give you thanks that you didn't leave us in our sin, but Father, you transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son because we can know you and worship you and be with you forever because you're a gracious, loving God who forgave us of our sins, who redeemed us of our sins, who made us as sons, adopted us, and has given us a great inheritance. Father, we praise you and thank you for that. It is in the name of your Son we pray. Amen.